can a city of 800,000 people become waste-free? That was the goal set by San Francisco a few years ago, to be zero waste by 2020. And is it fair to say at this point that the goal will in fact be reached? Yes. How? We'll find out today. Racing to Zero, San Francisco's Waste Reduction Initiative is our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. San Francisco, as one of the most progressive cities in the world, has led the nation in countless ways, from equal rights and social equality to environmental protection. Right now, one of the main focuses is on waste, or the reduction thereof, actually. A few years back, San Francisco set out to become waste-free. Yes, you heard right. A city of 800,000 people set out to produce zero waste by 2020. How is it possible and how is it done? A new documentary shows us exactly how. And we will speak with the filmmakers about Racing to Zero, San Francisco's Waste Reduction Initiative today. All that and more is coming up in just a minute here on An Organic Conversation. This show is brought to you by our fantastic underwriters, Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or the culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. I'm Helge Helberg, Racing to Zero, San Francisco's Waste Reduction Initiative, our topic in this hour. And with me now on the phone, I hope, are Christopher Beaver, the director, and Diana Fuller, the producer of Racing to Zero, who are joining me today out of San Francisco. Chris and Diana, do I have you on the line? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for making time. Of course, this is a very important month and very important uh, weeks for you. Congratulations, uh, Racing to Zero. That's racingtozero.org. Already the website for more information. An amazing documentary that I got the chance to see uh, before it was released through theaters in the wider Bay Area and actually many other places, as we will learn soon featuring San Francisco as a city with an amazingly aggressive idea of being zero waste or an amazingly gentle idea, however you want to see it, to be zero waste by 2020. Let's start before we really dive into the movie. What has made you become interested in this topic? Both of you have an extensive history of ecologically, environmentally minded and focused movies. Why this initiative? What, what stood out here? Diana, do you want to go first? Yes, perhaps I'll go first. I really was not, I was not educated in the ways of waste, let me put it that way. 
until I went to the uh, Recology Center in the San Francisco, and I was actually working on the board of their Artist in Residence program, and from that perspective, began to see a lot of things that I had no idea about previously. So uh, this stimulated questions, and questions make mean you explore for the answers, and I got so fascinated with all of this that um, I started the first film, which was called Trash 24, or 24 Hours in the Day of Garbage. And then that seemed to me very impossible and not very interesting to look at. And talking to Chris, who I'd known for a long time, I said, I wonder if we could change this, and would you be interested in exploring, really, the life of garbage? And if, frankly, what is it? You know, what is it? What is it in relation to how it is treated in the world today? What might it threaten, um, et cetera, et cetera? So we started to explore not the 24 hours, but if you wish, the life of whatever this this stuff was that um, we thought might encompass it at some point in the future, like Mad Max, if we don't deal with it. So that's what we started with. Great. Chris, for you, talking trash, was that instantly attractive? Or? I like that, talking trash. Well... Actually, I always wanted to make a trashy movie. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> we just make some exploitation yes. movie and feel good about it. But, uh, well, Diana talked to me, and I thought, you know, this is a done deal. Everybody's recycling everywhere, aren't they? And we talked some more, and I realized that actually I started, I started wondering if anybody was recycling. I started wondering if this was the lie, you know, that we could live with, the big lie. Sure, we recycle, just bring it here, and we just, we just do it. It goes, it disappears, you get rid of it. And so, actually, I became very curious, and because I think a lot in terms of movies, then as Diana and I talked, we started thinking, you know, it's, this is kind of a detective story, and like good detective stories, it's got a question to be answered, what is zero waste, can we achieve zero waste, and then on some level, it was also an excuse to look at the city of San Francisco, a city, it didn't have to be San Francisco, but a city, and so we got to see the city from the high to the low, to the in-between, to, it, it stretches... Uh, the connections are global from San Francisco with waste, recycling. They go to the county of Sonoma. They go all around California and the world. So I went from thinking, is this the lie we could live with, to, oh, my God, I had no idea what's going on. And, and waste, it is such an interesting topic. We have the, you know, re the recycle bin in front of our houses, maybe a compost bin, depending on where you live. And you don't know if at the end of the day it all ends up in the same waste stream again. There are certainly horror stories of, you know, this part cannot be recycled, but this one can. And at the end, uh, it all kind of not gets recycled. It's a theory that it would get recycled and actually turned into new products. What people with recycled bin would hope for or, or think oh, you, that products... You're covering the whole thing. Um, and those are the questions. So the point being, uh, first one asks oneself, so what is recycle? That's the first question that we began to understand was not answered properly. When people dump or even separate their so-called garbage into whatever the cans available are, um, they want to say, as Chris suggested earlier, out of sight, out of mind. That's what happened. <laughs> sure. So that actually goes back to what stimulated us was to find out what out of sight, out of mind really entailed. Where did recycling take place? What was recycling? Most people, as you just said, don't know what happens when it goes into the can, when it goes into 
whatever it is that it goes into that you get rid of. But, you know, to make a long story short, what we learned in our explorations was basically there's no such thing as garbage. Garbage is basically a resource. If people could change their understanding of the stuff that they use and toss and to understand that it's just used materials that have another life and it's a resource for something else, it would make a great deal of difference, I think, in the way they regarded it. Um, There's too many problems in the world today to toss everything that you've used slightly, no matter what it is. And everything is recyclable. The problem simply is that um, the cost the cost is not yet worth it to the users in many cases. And this is the actually commercialization of some of these really great ideas is one of the goals. It can't work unless these things work out commercially. Yeah, great. Great summary. Thank you, Diana. Again, that's Diana Fuller, the producer, and Chris Beaver, the director of Racing to Zero, a new documentary looking at the goal of San Francisco to be waste-free by 2020. And Chris, can you talk about, you know, a city of 800,000 people, San Francisco in this case, true for many cities, every city, an amazing amount of quote-unquote waste. The movie starts by looking at landfills, which traditionally has been the source for everything, and everything means trash, recyclable objects, and compost. Can you talk us through those three streams of how San Francisco is dealing with that or what you found in your movie? That's a good place to start. The streams of garbage, the streams of recycling and compost. And actually, one of the things that as Diana was talking, and you were just asking now, one of the things is actually the movie is uh, a lot more fun than that sounds. It's not like it's not like you're you're getting an educational film that just needs you to answer several questions at the end of it. But I no, think it's a it's great a movie. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's that's good to hear. You hear that often enough, just to keep you trying to make another movie. Yes. Um, but uh, <laughs> San Francisco has has right now is conceived of three streams. Um, one is recycling. That's the blue bin. One is compost. That's the green bin. And the third bin is landfill. So that's kind of how San Francisco Black does bin, it. Black bin. Black bin. But the idea is that from the film also, this is just the beginning. This, San Francisco is one case study, one model. It's a way of looking at it because this city has done an, an incredible job. And Diana had a comment, yes? Um, also, uh, the size of our city is really been very has been very has made the model the creation of this model uh, possible. Um, what do you mean by that? Because we are a very small city. We've shown this film in places like Bombay, Mumbai, um, Delhi, uh, Moscow, Paris, wherever you want, and um, you know there's hundreds of thousands of people. It would be it's impossible. It, but let's put it this way. What is possible is to use this as a model, as Chris is saying. Yeah, I'm glad you're not saying it's not possible for any city over three million, because that's what we've heard in organic agriculture, that, you know, it can only feed a, a minuscule amount no. of people, no, or no, it's not no, possible. No. no, it's not what you're saying. I hear that no, loud and clear. <laughs> any, any problem. One of the things is to divide the problem into manageable. That's problems. right. Yes. Yes. So you have, you have the city of San Francisco, uh, city of Los Angeles, is what, 15, 16, 17, 18 million people. They have a long ways to go in terms of developing all of these three streams. Uh, 
And so the potential there is huge. One of the things I also wanted to say is that these three streams are just, that's just one way of thinking about it. Uh, the city of San Francisco is looking at multiple streams. Diana keeps pushing on this. Her, one of the things that's been great working with her is not to accept any answer that we've been given as the solution. And we kept saying to each other that every time there was a solution, there's another question. So, for example, we're still throwing away a lot of a lot of stuff that can be recycled. A lot of material that should be recycled can be reused. And so we're, we're, we're very much at the beginning, and there's a lot more that can be done. And also in terms of the idea of San Francisco as a model, which it's, it's not like the ideal. It's very, very good. There, there may be other ways of doing things better. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we showed the film in India, and we had packed showings in India. They have a system where, uh, at least in some of the neighborhoods in Mumbai, people buy the recycled materials from you. Someone comes around neighborhood by neighborhood and buys your glass and buys your newspaper. So it might be that... Pays you. Pays, pays you, you to do it. Mm -hmm. Pays you. That's what it's worth. So it may be that if you're going to India, you don't automatically say, hey, you need three streams the way we do it in San Francisco. So the idea is to exchange this information, and, and we do feel, I feel increasingly strong, and we both feel that the questions are as important as anything that might be a solution. The next question is what's interesting. What do we do next? This doesn't surprise me that your your mindset is the word solution almost doesn't exist. It's a temporary state of accomplishment, and it must bear the next question of how to do it better. Uh, that is translated actually in the film. I'm not sh I'm not surprised you're saying this now. Uh, the the movie, as amazing as it is, and that's maybe its greatest attribute, it leaves you hungry for more. You are so excited when you see it that you don't feel like San Francisco is done. It feels like San Francisco Thank is you. just beginning. And that's a that's an amazing accomplishment to weave that into a very interesting film and very entertaining film, but it leaves you with kind of this big sense of possibility for, for what else can be done. Was that intentional? Is that just how you both live, Diana? Um, no, I think that's the way we look at a story of this kind. I think that we did not... We don't know. We do not know the answers. This is, this you suggested this yourself. This is like a stepping stone. This is a stepping stone that has come out of the past of this particular area, um, and it was uniting. Uh, this goes back to 1994, I think. It's taken that long in a city where a private body, the government, and the Department of the Environment were able to work together. That's pretty hard politically, you know, unless it's done, as you said, I'm repeating myself, but I feel so strongly about this, in small increments. It's the mm -hmm. collection of small of the collection of small models that are positively arranged that create the bigger model of success. Yes. And you know, this this we've seen that in our own travels, we've seen this in other other in other documentaries that have shown us from other countries again we see over and over again the village if you wish you know it takes a group of villages to make something work yes racing to zero san francisco's waste reduction initiative our topic in this hour of an organic conversation i'm helge helberg and i'm speaking with the director and the producer of a new documentary racing to zero that's racing to zero.org that's Christopher Beaver, the director, and Diana Fuller, the producer. An amazing movie. And Chris, I just want to let you finish the waste stream split in San Francisco, looking at San Francisco, a city of 800,000 people, and their goal to be 
being zero waste by 2020. Chris, you were saying that um, the three streams, of course, there's trash recycling and then compost recycling. That's the the bin that everyone knows. Uh, what will what happens to the to the content of those bins? Well, that a lot of that is what the what the film is, the trail that we follow. And one of the things that we did in terms of this idea that every solution raises a question was to, to try to the bargain that the best documentaries make, I think, and you aspire to it. I'm not claiming this for ours, but you start on a trail and you say, I'm going to follow this to the logical conclusion. And so some of the things are, are relatively easy, and I would say relatively easy to recycle. Glass, for example, can endlessly be recycled. All glass can. You can go back to ancient Egyptian glass that you would recycle. God forbid you would be recycling an artifact. But so, so the... the, the Recycled materials are, in fact, you're, you're helping the process by, by separating the, your items into these bins. And so you have the, the, the glass and the plastic. That material is, again, separated by Recology in San Francisco by collection agencies. That gets separated, and then that goes to places where it's actually recycled. The compost, the same way. The compost is is. You're helping every time you put things in the right place. You mean the like green, the green waste the green just bin, turn into compost? You, yeah. Yes, you put your food waste, you put put yard waste, you put the plants where the dry leaves, you put those in, and all of that goes back into the natural system, and then becomes, as it says in the film, it becomes the the, the food that you eat in the future. And this can be done again and again and again. The black bin is the the end point. That's what's taking us in the direction of the Mad Max reality where we have just given up, and we are, we, when it goes into the black bin, when you throw something away, I would say, when you throw something away, the image that I have is I'm throwing it to somebody else, literally. It could be another generation. It could be somebody in another country. It could be polluting our waterways, as the landfills have historically, or that have existed around San Francisco Bay, polluted the bay. So you were throwing it to somebody else, but the image was that it was going away into some mysterious wonderful, disappearing, and my place was clean. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. And also, uh, one of the things that sparked a lot of my thinking in this was these discussions that Diana and I would have. And philosophically, Diana said at one point that waste is our birthright. From the moment we're born until the moment we die, we're producing waste. Our relationship with that waste then becomes an open question. What is our relationship? What is our responsibility? And, And... Really, this is the simplest step that everyone can do to preserve the environment. You can do this every day. And I'm not, that's nothing new to say necessarily, but it's something that's worth thinking about. How we're connected to the world is one of the ways that we connect with it is how do we, re, how do we deal with our waste? What do we think of the world? What do we think about what we've been given? And where does the, the waste go, the, the black bin, in, in regard of San Francisco? The black bin, most of it goes to Altamont Pass, up near where the Rolling Stones had their... Their, their concert. The, the contracts continually are changing. Some of it goes to this landfill at the beginning of our film, a very small percentage, and sit, sits on the bay. Some of the waste from San Francisco, literally as we speak, is polluting San Francisco Bay, but a very small percentage. Or, or up at Vacaville, which is um, where they have been treating and separating um, 
uh, the garbage from San Francisco, the garbage, the, the waste, whatever we call it. Um, and a lot of the compost is yeah, in Vacaville, processed that's in Vacaville. Where the process. That's where the compost yeah. is beautifully processed. It's a marvelous thing to see. Well, we want to hear about the role of the consumer, of the, of the, of the person who actually creates that waste. Of course, there's responsibility on the manufacturers, but what can the consumer do? We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Please stay put. That is, again, Christopher Beaver, the director, and Diana Fuller, the producer of Racing to Zero, an amazing new documentary that is making its rounds right now in theaters throughout the country and throughout the world. RacingToZero.org, the website. Check it out during the break. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This show is brought to you by Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. And by Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Our topic in this hour is racing to zero. San Francisco is one of the most progressive cities in the world who has led the nation in countless ways from equal rights and social justice to environmental protection right now is working hard on its goal to be waste Zero Waste, Waste Free by 2020. And new documentary is showing that effort, how it's being done in the case of San Francisco, and that documentary is Racing to Zero. I'm speaking with the producer, Diana Fuller, and the director, Christopher Beaver, in this hour of an organic conversation. Diana, what is the role of the consumer? We talked about these three waste streams, trash, recycling, compost, There are cities that have one bin, and it's all being done at a center, a waste center, like a recology center, what it's called in San Francisco. In case of San Francisco, it is there are three different bins, trash, recycling, and compost. How well is it, is it done, and what is your sense for, the, for what consumers can do? Well, in the first place, a single bin situation makes the whole thing impossible because that means that the place that that goes, wherever that goes is going to have to hire enough people to separate everything that is in that bin into the various streams. If there's one bin, it means compost probably shoved in there too. Of course, then there's the situation where compost doesn't have its own bin in places even like Los Angeles, like many places today, or that the people, um, or that waste management tells people not to put in lawn, uh, garden tailings or anything that will s swell the size of the compost, they would like to have, I'm sorry, swell the size of the, 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 the black bin, the trash. They would like to have anything that gives volume to their, their waste, their, their what we call the garbage dump, sure. the dump. So it 
really is the responsibility of the town, the people, and the rest of it to ask, to to uh, take action, to be able to solve the problem by getting more than one bin. You, you, there's no way it can be done with a single bin. It isn't done. Half that stuff would be that might be separate is probably put where it shouldn't go. Chris. Yeah. Well, one of the things uh, that that this brought to mind was that the is it's referred to the diversion from landfill that San Francisco is unique. The general area is unique in that we have cities, Indianapolis, Oklahoma City, even Philadelphia, where the rates of diversion are sometimes less than 5%. So there's a D- Does he know by diversion we mean kept out of the kept land? Kept out of the land. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be technically exact here. And the, one of the things that we discovered as we, we looked more into this and dug into it, one of the things I was concerned about, again, going back to things I've said on other occasions, I was wondering, is this a lie, this recycling? Or does, what about all these huge trucks that take this stuff around and the huge conveyor belts that are shown in our film? Doesn't that take a lot of energy to process this material? And we were told that actually as we dug in and researched and investigated and documented, that generally speaking the recycling process uses 10% of the energy and 10% of the water that it would take to make these materials from scratch. And when you talk about a 5% conversion, where is San Francisco as our poster child right now at? Yeah, that's a good question, Helgi. San Francisco's diversion rate is about 80%. And so actually thinking about the film as a detective story and thinking about this big question, we're asking, what about that last 20%? And I would still say, going back to my thing, can they do it? It's a question, and the questions are so important to us. And when we, when, yes, Diana. I, mean, I, was I hear you thinking, breathe I, in. <laughs> I think Bloomberg has said that New York's got a, a 1920, 1920, 2025 goal of zero waste. So, you know, this thing is caught on around in some places. It's interesting. It is the big, I want to say sophisticated, I mean, big towns um, on the coast are mm. taking on a challenge much more than than the smaller towns which would have perhaps an easier uh, could create an easier structure to make this work so it 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 is it's interesting how this happens but you asked originally about the consumers the yes the regular person in the population what is their role i honestly think it's important that they i think we think it's important that they are uh, um, aware that this kind of collective um, activity, negative, this collective negative activity can really be immensely uh, destructive, even in addition to producing the methane that comes out of all of those huge dumps, which definitely affects, if you think about that all over the country, definitely affects uh, climate change. I mean, it you know, waste has been always out of sight, out of mind for the consumer. And they are they're combating always the role of industry, which has taken, very slowly taken any responsibility for the negative response, right? Yeah, interesting that you bring that up because the, the, the trash story doesn't end by being uh, dug into the ground. Of course, you're saying methane, 28 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. Uh, also, you know, all these items are resources. So the, the ripple of irresponsibility goes as far as the ripple of responsibility. Thank you. So um, 
how also, well... Also, excuse me for yes. interrupting. No, please. Here, because, you know, there's so many things that as you're asking these questions and we're thinking about them, how, how many of our environmental issues are connected? And one of the things I'd mentioned that uh, recycling often uses 10% of the energy and 10% of the water, but a zero-waste approach. And one of, one of our dreams is that the next president, whoever that might be, uh, would have a State of the Union address, and in the State of the Union address say that zero waste has become a, a national goal for the United States. Because the, when you recycle or re, uh, compost, even better when you avoid buying more than you, need, than, than you need to buy, but the whole idea of a zero waste thinking uh, would reduce the United States' production of greenhouse gases by some 30% or more. And since the United States is still one of the leading uh, emitters consumers of and, consumers and... Yeah. and uh, producers of waste, that each of us, when we do that, that's something we can do. We may not be able to stop uh, the latest coal-fired uh, utility from burning more and more coal. We may not be able to stop fracking. We may be able to be active in that in that campaign. But in terms of what we can actually do, every time we put something to be recycled or composted, we are taking a direct step to preventing or controlling climate change. Well, and you're talking about, you know, the control of or, or the dependency on foreign oil. So in a way, recycling or dealing with your waste responsibly is a political act. That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> well, if that's if political means people, yeah, which it of used course. to, <laughs> then it certainly does. How well is it done in San Francisco? Uh, the, in your movie, it's really funny. There's a, an, a waste auditing team that literally goes out <laughs> at three in the morning to checks yeah. on bins and then gives people ratings or, you know, that when he comes back. That was early in the morning, let do, me tell you, yeah, like do, 4 a.m. <laughs> that was amazing, the, the the, the sun was not out yet, and these teams are real, and they are auditing uh, trash bins or recycle bins on how well, how clean people are, how how deliberate in their separation on the home level. Um, how how what is the rate there? How how was that for you to see that being done? I thought it was extremely interesting because I also thought it was a little funny, and uh, it, it was very early on, you know, for both of us. You've got to say that that big tall guy that was in there that sort of smiled at you and say, well, this is what we do, and this is what I do every morning, and smiles. I think he's very beguiling to anybody who's, you know, looking at the picture, and I think people had no idea that, you know, there was any anyone. It's on a very folksy level. This whole thing is a very folksy level. It is a small town, San Francisco, relatively. 800,000 is not... But it's uh, also this attitude, you see. This is like, uh, I mean, it's cozy. The way people talk, the way we, why we were there, how we were allowed. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very protective thing. And I think it's, uh, I think that's, you know, it is a model and it's unique and other models might, I don't know if this was very easy to put in place, probably not. But it's um, well. What struck me still by when for a city of eight hundred thousand people, in times where everything gets automated and there's an app for everything, in this case they do go door to door at three in the morning and audit your recycle bin of how well you're doing and if you need a little bit of education the next day or not. A lot of it is education, and I had earlier I had mentioned this idea that the city of Philadelphia was recycling at a very low rate. And so one of the sequences in our film, one of the chapters, is at the San Francisco International Airport, which you may wonder how that plays into zero waste. But there was an exhibit of art that was produced by an, an art program at Recology yes. to turn 
garbage into art. And there was a couple there from Philadelphia. And I went up to ask them, what about Philadelphia, Mr. Smarty Pants here that knows there's nothing going on in Philadelphia? And they said, oh, no, we formed a neighborhood group. So I think that the idea is that these are all, Diana Diana put it so perfectly earlier, stepping stones. Everything is a stepping stone. And if a city of 800,000 can do it, then a city of 20 million can do it. But you might have to start with a neighborhood and another neighborhood and two neighborhoods and three neighborhoods. So the thing starts very much the grassroots. I remember in San Francisco when there was one center in the Haight-Ashbury that, that, that took cans for recycling. And look where we are now, 20, 30 years later. So it's a process. It's very, very much a process. Let's talk about your movie. Can, uh, can I, yeah, can please, I one Diana, one of course. Another thing in this process, I think, and I, I, I don't think that it really comes out that thoroughly in our film, but it's really asking, this goes back to your question about individual responsibility. It's asking people to just think. You know, that is the American thing. It's, just, it's been disbanded from the glorious post-Depression uh, days and so on. Uh, people spend, they get, they what have you, um, for what they buy. We're also asking you to think. We're asking you to think in terms of there's always a future for whatever it is that you're, you're, you're buying. Um, you overbuy. I mean, I, I do it too, you know? I was thinking about buying fruit for a week, but I know I can't eat that much fruit so many days and it rots. And I think, damn, I didn't do it properly again. So it really is today, in, sorry, in the old days, people would recycle that food, meaning they'd put the leftover vegetables in the soup, which was always on the pot and da-da-da. But, you know, and people are, in a lot of places would like to have that soup, let's put it that way. So it's thinking about the afterlife, I think, of your actions. Well, you and, know. yeah, whether it is food or is it uh, plastic or the hard exactly. drive on your what, computer, we, we what's talk... the next life? Yeah, you're talking about the uh, economical um, aspect as well. You know, every head of lettuce thrown away is another $2 in the trash uh, where it adds to methane down the road if you don't compost it yourself. Uh, that also came out of your pocket. So this is as much an ecological initiative or movement um, or or ideologically or or, or solution as it is in economical and political. Can you talk about, maybe Chris, can you um, touch on the point you made earlier that economically sound, maybe we are not quite there yet to pay for itself, maybe we are, Help us out here. Where does the money come in, seeing waste as a resource? Follow the money. Always. Show me the money. Yeah, the, the question of, of the economic viability of all of these, in general, ecological movements, but you could say the economic viability or sustainability of everything that we do. Uh, Diana was talking about think. It's, it's this thought process of where does it come from and where is it going, and trying to, trying to think in a circular manner. So it could be also that the way that uh, everything, most of the waste paper from San Francisco goes to China. So there's a kind of going someplace, there's an economic benefit, it goes to China. And then we buy back all these things that China makes, and it comes to us. That's a certain kind of industrial cycle. So that one you could say, I don't know, is that sustainable? Is that how things should go? So again, a lot of this is these questions, and it changes day to day. What happens in China very much affects us here. The commodities prices, as commodities rise and fall, 
And one of the things I, I kind of wanted to toss in here is that uh, for folks who are coming to see the film or, or curious more about that, we have some great people that are appearing with these theatrical presentations of the film. Mm-hmm. James Cow is one who can talk about electronics recycling. And sometimes I make the joke that come to the movie, folks, and play Stump the Recyclers. We have Kevin Drew from San Francisco's Department of, of the Environment who's a specialist in what the city is doing and how they're trying to get this last 20% uh, diversion from from landfill. Uh And so James Cowan in particular, because of electronics recycling, is very aware on a day-to-day, almost hourly basis, what's happening in other parts of the world. So this sense of us being connected to other parts of the world is not a fantasy, and it's not a slogan. It's a reality. So the film is kind of uh, opening the discussion. And the discussion will be completed with an audience. It'll be completed in this question and answer. It'll be completed in the minds and thoughts of people who see the film and then go on and have new ideas, new ways of of approaching this whole question of sustainability. Great. And the film is Racing to Zero, San Francisco's Waste Reduction Initiative, our topic in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and with me is Christopher Beaver, the director, and Diana Fuller, the producer. That's racingtozero.org. Speaking of the film, what has the reception been thus far? You have shown it throughout the U.S. You have shown it even internationally. Where have you been, and how has it been? Well, I, I think we're actually quite pleased that the uh, that a film that was really made for a purpose, if you wish, um, has seemed to uh, achieve or be, and still be achieving that purpose. Do just that, yes. Um, you know, it starts uh, it starts with the festival run. We kind of planned the way that we would go about this, and the, and we have allowed it to be. Have we been invited and then allowed when we're invited to screenings uh, it to be in about 35 screen, uh, countries around the world, 35 places, festivals, I'm trying to say. And um, then I think what pleases us very much is that Bullfrog, which is our distributor, has had a huge response in terms of education. They take care of all the educational filming, mm-hmm. uh, screening, and schools, uh, universities, and what they call the community, which is for all kinds of groups. It's been translated. I think we have four different, five different translations now, including Russia. It has been released in Russia through Greenpeace, which is very important to us. Um, It, uh, and what has the response been for, at the screenings? Fantastic. How do people? I mean, it's fantastic, curious. I think uh, it's uh, people have commented on the. This is very curious to us because we didn't start out with that in mind. It's just the way it is in San Francisco. So the diversity has really surprised people in this town. I think it's brought a little hope. I I think in towns which are just so huge, you know, like Mumbai, for example. We we were invited, uh, the consulate, our consulate arranged for the film to be shown to very specific groups, actually about six different specific groups, with the notion of giving them ideas of what they might be able to do or take what part of it. Now, these are really difficult cities that have been there for centuries with every kind of problem you can imagine and go from... You know, and they're also high, they're very technically, they're high, they're very high tech um, industries that are operating out of them. And, um, you know, all of this produces another, another kind of waste, and yet another kind of waste. 
so it's very, very interesting to see. We've, we've, we're, I think we're very pleased with the results. The French audience was the toughest. They were, the audience itself was great. I meant the questions were very tough. Um, like, can you explain that? What kind of questions were asked? Um, kind of, it's almost like, what about the hundred percent? You know, why is it? Why is it only eighty? It should be a hundred. And, and where is Paris at? You know, I don't think they know. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, well, my, if people were my interested, my impression is that that's not the primary <laughs> thing on everybody's no. mind. If, but but uh, let's uh, take let's take New York, which has been a pig pen, as you know, for years, and where the film was shown, and where it was a big yeah, conference exactly, in New York. exactly, where waste has been barged out still into the ocean. Well, often. exactly, and they are really taking a big. You know, that's a tough city. That's a bunch of little cities, right? Same thing. They are really on their way. Bloomberg is really pushing it. It's not. Is it Bloomberg? Not now, but not, he was. He was. Yeah. Right. If I so, think we whetted people's appetite to see it, and if they can't catch a screening at one of those film festivals... It we'll, should be streamed online at the end of the year. It will be available through uh, individual streaming. Great. That's racing20.org. Is that the best resource site to see screenings? Racing20.org, and also the Department of the Environment uh, in San Francisco is a good place You can look them up online. You can make a call. I live in uh, Marin County. Marin has pledged to have zero waste by 2025. And uh, as Robert Haley, who is the zero waste manager for San Francisco and uh, the Gulliver, as it will, in a, if you will, in our film, Gulliver's Travels, uh, Robert Haley says that if you really want to know what to do, uh, go ahead and give any of these government agencies a call. And as I said to him once, what if, what if I don't have compost in my city? He said, maybe you better talk to the city council. So there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot of openings and a lot of government interest in this. And they, they're ready to step up. They need to be encouraged. And so I think Diana put her finger on it. One of the things that's really a kick about the film is this is not one of those doom and gloom films. This is something very, very hopeful and kind of fun, too, once you start doing it. Yes, and certainly something we must do. Congratulations. Can and I add one more thing? Yeah, of course. I think it's really important if people could understand that there Each person, each little person, like me and you, can make a difference. It's pretty hard to stop climate change individually. It's pretty hard to stop the wrecked oceans individually. But you can help by paying attention here. Each one of us can help by having, bearing a little of that responsibility and knowing if you just think before you buy or consume The rest of it, just think. Think what the next life might be. Beautiful. Yes, we always say that the two big areas is waste production or management and food consumption. If people would really pay attention or are paying attention, luckily now, to both, that will address a lot of societal problems. So, again, congratulations on an amazing movie, Racing so to much. Zero. And, um, yes, we hope this will encourage you to keep this amazing work up. I can't wait. I will not ask, but I, I can't wait to hear about your next project. And until then, good luck with this movie, showing it to everyone in the world. Uh, racing to zero the website.org again that's christopher beaver the director and diana fuller the producer of racing to zero thanks for being on the show today great pleasure thank you very much thank you both take care okay. bye 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 racing to zero has been making its round in theaters throughout the u.s since september 16th 
of course, September 16th, also the birthday of legendary marine mammal activist Lisa Wells, coinciding with the release of Racing to Zero. Big belated shout out to her. And if you can catch it at your local theater, please do so. Racing to Zero. Amazing work every day that we can do. Amazing work that was done in this documentary. And um, yes, waste. There is no waste. Sad that we came up with that name, in fact. Maybe we can just call it resource or something new. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And as food consumption and food production is such a big part of waste production and waste management, uh, we are staying with the topic of organic, sustainable agriculture, healthy fruits and vegetables. Here's an update from the produce doc directly, our consumer segment of what to buy, how to buy it, and how to store it and what to do with it at home when it comes to organic produce, organic fruits and vegetables. Here is what's in season. And with us is that very voice of Earl Herrick, the voice of the produce world. Earl, are you with us? Yes, my voice is still here. That's earlsorganic.com. <laughs> and what is that hey. voice telling us? We've been talking about, wow, citrus, of course, a couple of weeks back, avocado for the Super Bowl, cold and rain and shorter days. What are you seeing in the produce dock right now? What's what's the item of the day? Well, you know, we're going to talk uh, talking about the technology that allows us to have apples all year round. Ah, apples. Finally, huh? This is a good point. Though. One could think that the moment our season ends in November, the overseas season kicks in, and it's not so, right? We yeah. need these buffer times. What's happening there? Yes. Yeah, well, if you go back historically, you know, before, you know, we're, we're predating to, you know, any, any sort of technology past, uh, you know, the, the wheel and the, yes. and, and, I mean, you the know, ship. 100 years ago, yeah. we had, we had uh, root cellars. Which you know it's cold outside, and the and the gr- and the ground is fro- is frozen basically, and and you and you have this this hole in the earth that you're keeping uh, what you harvested out of your garden, and what you harvested from your orchard that you had, and it's there in a real suspended animation, and that's really what we've developed uh, scientifically now with our technology is what we can call uh, controlled atmosphere storage systems, which we've talked about over the years. And this is the time of year where you've been seeing what we call CA for controlled atmosphere. You're seeing CA apples, meaning that these are apples that were harvested back in September, October, November, when they all were, uh, at least in the United States. And what they do, what happens is the best apples are picked out to put into this extended storage situation, and that is where the the whole atmosphere is controlled the nitrogen the oxygen the temperature and it is and it's in a sealed uh, uh, walk-in or container and they don't and it's not dealt with or it's not open until a designated time where it, it gets it gets analyzed how much are we keeping for fresh what are our sales like so that means we're going to open it up in July 15th or April 1st or I think this year there were some gala apples that, were, that came out of uh, controlled atmosphere uh, in December so that is how we do it it's it's fascinating and to understand that they put the best apples in this so when they come out they have the the highest opportunity to be very sure. very sound 
and enjoyed as they should be. How how important is the organic factor in that? Like, in other words, what's the difference between controlled atmosphere organic and non-organic? Are there any chemicals used that you know of in non-organic apples that are coming out that are out of CA controlled atmosphere? Because in organic, it's really just they, they regulate the oxygen and the nitrogen for growth and the temperature for freshness, and that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, and the, and the humidity and the air air circulation. Right, but no chemical to keep no. you know anything no. out or in. Or how is that different for non-organic? Do you would you know? No, I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know what the the conventional guys as as we as we term yes. it what what their process is. Um, Because when that, they come a, from overseas, I know they're fumigated. You know, in in non-organic well, production, yes. really heavily. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely, is fu- those, yeah, those are those are fumigated. You know, I find this happening a lot in my in my field where I won't know exactly, or I even forget uh-huh. that there is a conventional <laughs> season going on, and sure. I'll say, "Well, the artichoke season's done." And people go, "Well, no, I can find them all over." Well, that's right. They're they're conventional, and they have a different they have a different region from which they're growing. So, yeah, it is interesting. Occasionally, I get blindsided by that. So that's a west. That's the southern hemisphere apple out of Argentina, Chile, and New Zealand. So that industry tries to position itself that it doesn't overlap the CA season of, of the United States because, mm-hmm. again, it's supply and demand. If there's a lot of CA apples and they come in with theirs, they're not going to sell as well. People again want to eat what's what's local, what's domestic, what's grown in the United States, even though that fresh apple from Argentina or Chile could be better in so much as the flavor, the freshness, the enzymes that it's going to have. It's not coming out of suspended uh, storage. How, now, it does, yeah. it does have a different carbon footprint, yes. You know, I'm, I'm in this industry for a while, and I adhere to a, a lot of the best practices, but I don't stop eating apples just because... Um, They're coming from New Zealand. But what 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 would that mean for the consumer? How how yeah. would you know if something is? I mean, if it says you know it's coming from the southern hemisphere, wherever uh, you know. But how would you know? Would it still say domestic, and then you just know it's out of controlled atmosphere? How can yeah, the yeah. average buyer yeah. in the store differentiate? Yeah, you know, I don't know many retailers no. that that go there to yeah. say this me, is me controlled neither. atmosphere. Apple. No. No, I don't think any of them do. Uh, I think what you can do is is understand pretty readily by February 1st, every apple you're buying is coming out of storage other than maybe a Fuji. Uh-huh. Uh, Fujis are very dense. They're the last apple harvested, I mean, in, in at least com- commercially grown. Uh-huh. And, and they're very dense, and they hold up their high sugar. So they not many people or, or companies put those in, those in controlled atmosphere. They don't seem to need to. But everything else... You can you can rest assured that it's coming out of storage. So what you're going to start seeing, though, are apples. Like the first apple from the southern hemisphere is a gala. It's one that matures the first, and the first one gets harvested and gets shipped. That'll be a nice crispy apple, and it'll, you want to deal with it like a fresh apple because it is. A CA apple is one that you want to take home and put in your refrigerator right away. So if it says country of origin, because yeah. that's the retailer has, it's a law, right? Yeah. You have to right. list the, the name of the product and the country of origin at least. And then hopefully if it's organic, it has a nine in front, as we always yep. say. And if it's non-organic, it has a four. Yep. But if you see country of origin, USA, sometimes in other industry you hear, well, it can just be reshipped or repackaged. Mm. No, it means country no. of origin means it is that's grown right. in the U.S. Yeah, so that's, 
that is the easiest, that's the best way to go, because they will all say that. And if the, if, they, if the labeling on the display doesn't have it, the Apple will. So, again, you look uh-huh. at that sticker on the Apple, and it will say... Chile, that that annoying, yeah, that annoying little sticker. But that's <laughs> yes. what they're for. If it says "product of the U.S.," you know, Bingo. in March, right now, yeah. starting, this is coming out of controlled atmosphere, and I need to eat this within two, three days, right? Yeah. Quickly. Yeah, and, and yeah, definitely keep them in the fridge because it, again, it's coming out of storage. It's coming out of this artificial uh, environment, and it'll just break down, lickety split. I mean, no kidding. Uh, especially if you if you keep it like on a counter in yeah, a hours, in a, right? in a fairly warm yeah. uh, kitchen overnight, right? Yeah, you, and and what and you know it's not going to become rotten, but it will lose that edge of crispness that you're looking for in a, in a nice crisp apple. And I had an apple overnight once, uh, you know, buying it in the afternoon, keeping it overnight, and in the morning biting into it, it already had brown spots that yep. the other apple that I had the day before didn't have. So yeah. they basically catch up within hours to the state they somewhat would be in if they hadn't been in controlled atmosphere. Uh, in the end, aging, nature gets you. They, but, 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 you know, apples are such wonderful food. Yeah, don't and put again, them out. They travel easy. Eat them. You know, eat them out of your hand, slice them, eat Great. them with cheese, you know, all the million ways we can use them. Nice. So it, they're really there to be enjoyed. Apple a day keeps the doctor away, high in vitamin A, all that. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Earl. We'll have you back next week. And again, for more produce information, earlsorganic.com, always a fantastic source of inspiration and information and recipes and such. Great to have Thanks. you. Thanks for having me on the show. Bye now. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here. Same place, same time next week. See you then.